We're in week three of the book of Genesis, and it's been exciting so far to see what God is doing. Uh, and when you consider the condition of our world, as we talked about week one, how the, the, everything around the world, not just in America, but around the world, it seems like everything is just going off the rails, and everything is disintegrating quickly in front of our eyes. All the things that we thought were normal have been turned upside down, whether it be marriage, family, sexuality, politics, all the things of right and wrong are just on its head. And the, the way that we're going to fix this is to get back to Genesis. This is the foundation for an unsteady world. So I'm going to read for you uh, the passage here. We're going to finish the end of chapter 1 and start the beginning of chapter 2. And it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heaven, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was the evening and the morning. This was the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day... God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And let's everybody read together verse 3 with me. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all this work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us and caring for us. Thank you that you've furnished us on a planet that, that provides every need and so much more. But Father, we have rebelled against you, not just Adam, not just Eve, but all of us have. And Lord, because of it, the world is falling apart. Father, we pray that you would be our redeemer, not only redeem the world around us, but redeem us, redeem our hearts, redeem the brokenness that's inside of us so that we can be more like the image that you created us in. And we can be more like the image of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So years ago when I was single and much younger, I was needing a lot of dental work done and dental work can be expensive as you know. So I thought, a friend of mine told me about what he thought would be a good idea. Go to the University of Texas Dental School. They do work really cheap while they're training the dental students. Big mistake, <laughs> big mistake, okay? So I go into the room to get x-rays done. You know this machine right here. So the guy says, hey, sit in this chair right there and he puts the bite wing in my mouth and he steps out and he flips on the switch and he comes back in. I'm like, um, isn't that machine supposed to like point it at my jaw? And he's like, oh yeah. I and mean, it was pointed at the wall. He got a really nice picture of the studs in the wall, not of my jaw, okay? This is, I'm not making this up. 
So he points everything over here, and he points it at my jaw, and he says, okay, let's do this again. He steps out, flips the switch, steps back in. I said, um, that vest over there, aren't I supposed to be wearing that to protect me from the x-rays? Oh, yeah. And he brings and puts a vest on me and he t before he takes more x-rays. Uh, it was crazy. So then later, they, uh, the, the part that you all dread, you know, the needle in the mouth to numb your mouth, he sticks the needle up here where the root canal is about to be done, and about a minute later, my left eye, I can't open. <laughs> and my left side of my face is just dro drooping. And I already look worse than I do. And it just like, I, and he comes over. I said, hey, my, my, my face is messed up. He's like, what? My face is messed up. Sorry about the microphone here. I said, my face is messed up. He's like, what do you mean? i like, my eye. I can't open my eye. And he's like, well, I don't know what caused that. I'm like, the needle caused that, you know? He said, well, no, I don't think it was the needle. I'm like, before you injected my eye, my eye was normal. Now you injected it, and now my eye is sagging. And he, the guy wouldn't take any responsibility. And this is not the same guy taking the x-rays, okay? So then another guy, another student comes in, supervised by a dentist, supposedly. And he does the, the root canal and, uh, and closes it all up. And so... But for months and months, and probably about 11 months, that tooth still hurt. So I went to a specialist, and they took x-rays, and the guy left the drill, bill in, the drill bit in my tooth. No joke. He took an x-ray, and, and there was the, the, the bit of the drill had broken off in my tooth, and they left it in my tooth. And they're supposed to do a post-root canal x-ray to find out to make sure none of that happened. But again, they didn't do that. So... Reason number 281 that I hate the University of Texas, okay? Just not to mention their football team. I, you can't make this stuff up. They could not do anything right. I, I'm so thankful that when God the, made the world, he made it right. I mean, he made it right. He made it beyond what any of us can comprehend. In fact, Richard Dawkins, one of the leading atheists in the world, was asked about how do you explain all the amazing superior intelligence in the design of the world? And this is what he said. I'm not making this up. He said, I believe that aliens from another galaxy came and embedded the code of the DNA into the planet and then left. I'm like, you would rather believe in aliens on a spaceship from another galaxy came and created all this than to believe that God did it. It's not that they're not willing to believe in a higher form of life. It's just they don't want that higher form of life to be God because God wrote the Bible and if God created all this and he wrote the Bible then I have to do what the Bible says and I don't want to do what the Bible says. And so that's what, that's what really the problem is. This is not about science. It's not about philosophy. It's not about that. It's that I, do, I want to do what I want to do with my life so therefore don't tell me what to do with everything. Last week we learned about how the pattern of the days of creation where the first three, he's forming space. The first day, he, he separates light from darkness. The second day, he separates the sea from the sky. The third day, he has the dry land, the vegetation. He's setting three stages. And then on day four, five, and six, he's going to fill those areas or those spaces or those stages. So on day four, he puts light of day and night, the stars, sun, moon, and stars in those spaces. And in the sea and the sky that he created, he puts fish and birds and in the dry land of vegetation, he creates animals and human beings. And that's the pattern you see here that God creates everything. So do you know that's, 
that skeptics will often say, well, how can we see the light from stars that are a million miles away? And it's like, you know, that's really a common sense question there. When God created everything, when he created trees, did they already have fruit on them? Yes. When he created Adam and Eve, were they already capable of reproducing? Yes. When he created a, a, a lion, was it just a little cub or was it full grown? It was full grown. And so therefore, everything God created was already mature. So if he created stars that are millions of light years away, do you not think that the light beam from them to earth was already intact? You know, why do we always have these skeptical questions against God? And you can always tell when you're in a conversation with someone who doesn't want to believe because once you explain that, they'll go, yeah, but what about this? They didn't say, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. I'm glad I got an answer to that question because I'm really seeking God. No, it's always, yeah, but. What about this? But what about this? It's a, the shell game, the constant moving target because they don't want to believe. Some of you have gone to a fitness club and, and you've even maybe gone as far to get a personal trainer, right? And do you think that everything the trainer does is pleasant? Have you ever walked away and say, man, that was the best personal trainer I ever had because he didn't ask me to do anything hard. It was all easy. Do you get in shape because everything is easy? No, of course not. When you go to the dentist, I mean, you go to a good dentist, not the University of Texas dental center. When you go to a good dentist, doesn't he hurt you sometimes in order to make your teeth better? But when we come to the Bible, we don't want anything uncomfortable. And if you're struggling with Christianity this morning, if you're struggling with the Bible, do you really want it all to be easy? What about the whole concept of no pain, no gain? If, you, if the Bible is true, sometimes it's going to hurt you. Sometimes it's going to say, hey, you're, I love you, but this right here has got to go. You're like, oh, but I love that, God. I want that. No, no. It needs to go. This, you think this is good for you, but it's not. We need to throw this away. And we're like, no, no, God, I want this. I want this relationship. I want this TV show. I want this music. I want whatever it is you want. And we're like, no, but I don't want any of any of this. Go. And God says, you know what? No pain, no gain. And every physical trainer or fitness trainer that is going to get you better has got to hurt you a little bit. And so sometimes the word of, your issues with the word of God, your issues with maybe even what I preach, it's uncomfortable. But let me just tell you, it's part of the process. And I'm not asking you to agree with everything I, I say. But if, if you want to go to a church where everything is comfortable and you feel good and you love everything, then you're in the, the wrong place. We, we need to, the Bible says iron sharpens iron, right? And last time I checked, when you sharpen iron, there's sparks are going to fly, and there's going to be some heat, and there's going to be some friction. So do not be afraid of a Bible and the God of the Bible who does, makes you put you in a little uncomfortable situation. Now, I want you to notice a pattern in what we read. Your, your English teacher would probably give you a bad grade on your paper if you started every sentence with end, 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 end. We just learned that from the Gospel of Mark a month ago, right? And yet this is how the, Moses writes this, and he does it on purpose. He starts every verse off with end, 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 end. And then he comes down, and he, verse 21, and then he says, so God created the sea creatures. So he shifts gears here. He does all the spaces, end, 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 end. And then he says, he starts to fill the spaces, but I want you to notice when he gets to this verse in verse 26, he doesn't start off with end. He says, then. So it's like a, one of your kids comes home and has a fantastic day at school, and they're telling you about it. And then he did this, and then Bobby said this, and then the teacher said this, and then this, and then, and they come to the good part. 
That's what Moses is doing here. Here's the good part. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The crowning jewel of all of creation was people. And that's pretty impressive because if you look at our planet, there's some amazing creatures. Anybody, what's your favorite animal? Anybody have a favorite animal? Dogs? Yeah, right? What else? Say it. Yeah, snakes, right? What else do you like? Who else has a favorite animal? How about the giant blue whale, 100 feet long, pretty massive, right? Otters, otters are amazing. And, and so you look at all that, but if you think, did you have another one? Eunuchs, okay, cool. Not unicorns, right, eunuchs, okay. So God creates all these amazing creatures, and yet you know what he says? You're the best. Think about that. We are the superior animal, if you will, on the planet because God made us so massively strong? No. I mean, a gorilla could throw down with you like that, okay? Is it because your fangs are the biggest? Your claws? Is it because you can fly to get away? Think about us physically. We're inferior. These couldn't hurt anybody. I mean, these couldn't hurt anybody hardly, you know? I'm not going to outrun a whole lot of animals. I don't have much defense against a snake and all that stuff. What, what is superior to man? What is superior about man? The brain. We're created in the image of an intelligent designer who made it, just like God is creative, right? We are creative. We have the ability to create things. We can create shelter. We can create weapons. We can create fire. We can do all kinds of things because God created us in his image and God is incredibly intelligent. Keep that in mind next time you make a big decision in life. When you think you know better, realize the one who designed you and designed the whole planet knows a whole lot more than we do. And it says here, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And the plural here is not just in English. It's in Hebrew. In fact, it's even more obvious in the Hebrew. The word for God is Elohim. Elohim. The, the root word for God is Eloi. And in, in, in English, if we want to make something plural, what do we put on the end? S, right? In Hebrew, if you want to make something plural, you put the letters I am. So if the Bible talks about a cherub or a type of angel, if there's more than one, it's cherubim. If the Bible talks about a seraph, it's what? Seraphim. Guess what? Here it's Eloi, Elohim. Though even the word God here is in the plural, but we don't believe in a plurality of gods. We believe in a God who is himself a plurality. Okay? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So even from the first words of the Bible, you see the Trinity clearly taught. And again, you might not understand it without the New Testament, but thank the Lord we have the New Testament to be able to understand all this. So he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And we talked about last week about everything in the universe is trinities, land, sea, and air, you know, height, depth, width, all these different things, um, time, space, and matter. You are, yourself are a trinity. You are a body, soul, and spirit. So you, we reflect the trinity as all of nature does as well. And even in chapter 3, we'll fast forward to verse 22, it says, Behold, God said, Behold, this man has become like one of us, us, knowing good and evil. So, there, and the word knowing here means discerning or deciding for themselves what is good and evil. See, that's where Adam and Eve went wrong. 
It's not that God didn't want them to know the difference between good and evil. It's that he didn't want them to determine for themselves what is good and evil. And if that doesn't define the day we live in, I don't know what does. Today, it's all about you decide what's right and wrong for you, and I'll decide what's right and wrong for me. And, the, and it's just like everybody's saying, I'm going to have a ruler that's like this long, and I'm going to have a ruler that's this long, and I'm going to have a ruler that's this long. And we're not all living by the same standard. There has to be one standard if we're going to communicate, if we're going to interact, if we're going to have a civilization. But while we can't seem to have one standard for morality, we all seem to have the same standard for weight and measurement. And that's what's wrong, is everybody's determining for themselves what is right and what is wrong. In Genesis chapter 11, it says, The Lord said, Behold, and this is talking about the Tower of Babel. They are one people, and they have one language. Now, what's wrong with that? God told them to do what? Fill the earth. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to fill the earth. We're all going to stay right here. We're going to uh, build a mega city, and we don't need you, God. We're gonna, we don't even need you to get to heaven. We're going to build a tower to heaven, and we're not going to be fruitful and multiply and spread out all over the world. So we're just all going to stay right here. So God says, come let us go down and confuse their language. And what's interesting, archaeologists cannot explain how there's this sudden appearance, boom, of multiple languages on the planet. You don't see this gradual change. If, if that were the case, all languages around the world would be a whole lot more similar than they are. But it's very clear that there's four basic root languages, and Chinese sounds nothing like English. And, it, and, and, you, and German sounds nothing like Italian, or I mean about, uh, I'd say, Spanish. There's so many languages that are so opposite. It's not just because we spread over the planet. It's because they suddenly appeared that way and throughout history. And archaeologists can't explain that, but the Bible clearly does. So we do believe in what we call the triune God. So let me ask you a question. 1 John 4, 8 says God is what? God is love. Now, in order to be love, you have to what? Have someone to love, right? So if God is by himself in eternity, who does he love? Unless he's a triune God. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Father. They love each other. That's what's called the cosmic dance. And so in eternity past, before time was even created, the Trinity was loving one another like a family. They were loving and interacting with one another. So therefore, God can be love without having a human being to love. But here's the beautiful thing. The Trinity loved one another before the creation. And you could say, well, why didn't he love the angels? He, he did love the angels, but the angels, what? They could not love him back. Okay? Because after the rebellion, all their decisions were set. So all angels were fixated on the love of God and nothing else. And the ones who rebelled were fixated on rebellion and nothing else. So they really, after that, had no choice. So he wanted to create someone with free will, someone who would choose to love him. That's why we choose real puppies and not robot puppies. <laughs> because, yeah, sometimes they can pee on the carpet. But when they choose, when you call them and they come to you and they love on you, that's great. You know, and children, same thing. Why do we have children? Because they love us, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're punks, and sometimes they rebel against us. But we, we take that risk. And some people say, well, why would God create people if you know when they're going to fail? Um, why do you have kids? You, you've seen how many kids can mess up their lives. You've seen how many kids mess up your life. 
And, and you've seen how they messed up your parents' and grandparents' life, and yet you have them anyway. Why? Because you want someone who will freely choose to love you, and you're willing to take that risk. It's funny how we throw shade on God for doing that, and then we do it ourselves all the time. So God created us so that he could love us. And so and you, another great question you want to ask is, if you were making up a religion, okay, and they, they, atheists and evolutionists say, well, religion is just man's made-up constructs to explain away what he cannot understand, and now that we have science, religion will die away, and what's funny is the exact opposite is happening. The more scientific our world is becoming, the more information that's on the internet, the more religious people are coming. I'm not saying all the religion is good, Okay, there is also there's an increase in true Christianity. There's also an increase in other religions. But people are becoming more religion with more science. But let's say, say the evolutionists are right that people just made up religion. Who would make up the Trinity? Who would make up something so complex and so hard to understand and so hard to explain? Yeah, it's just the reason it's there is because it's true. It's not because someone made it up. Now, just because it's hard sometimes to comprehend doesn't mean it's not true. Because if I worshipped a God who could fit in my three-pound little brain, he would not be worthy of worship. He's got to be something bigger and more sophisticated than my mind can handle if he truly, truly is God. So each one of them were glorifying the other, and they were orbiting around each other. Their whole life was about glorifying one another. And you know what? You are most like God when you are thinking about others and not yourself. You see, people want the world to revolve around them. Do you know anybody like that? You people, everything has to revolve around them. The conversation's all about them. Everything is about them, you know. And yet God is exactly the opposite. The Father says in John 17, I want to glorify the Son. And then the Son says, Father, I want to glorify you. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to glorify both of you all. I want to be the farthest in the backdrop. I want to be the spotlight, spotlighting on you two. And they're very, very unselfish in their love that way. And that's the way we should be in all of our relationships. And that's the way we should be because we are created in His image. So each one of them was in relationship with the other. And God calls you. So here's God. Before there was anything concept of time, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loving the Father, this, this orbiting around each other. And they said, you know what? We want to share this with someone. We want to share this not with lions and tigers or caterpillars. We, we want to share this with someone in our image. And that's why you were created, that God wants you to let you in on this. There's a church in Tennessee and they're, you know, our church's purpose statement is worship God passionately, love people genuinely, start a revolution. And I love that. And, but there's a church in Tennessee, their mission statement is, I am a complete idiot, my future is bright, and anyone can get in on this. <laughs> I'm like, I absolutely love that. I think it's amazing. But you know what? That's true. You can get in on this. You're, you're, we are all complete idiots, and yet our future is bright because God's saying, hey, why don't you join in on this love that we have going on here in the Trinity? And just think, we, we really, and I really need to repent of not fully appreciating what I am called in, the relationship I'm called into. That I, my purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what God has called us into. Um, 
There's a lot of anti-Trinitarian heresies. I won't, there's six basic ones. I'm only going to cover a few. Arianism is the, is the idea that Jesus Christ is a special creation by God for man's salvation. Arians do not believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is equal to the Father. Jesus was divine only in the sense that he held in a sense of less than the Father. So some say that Jesus is the Son of God, as if little is meant by that, and that he's inferior to God the Father. And some would also say that Islam has borrowed this fa false concept as well. Probably the most prominent people that you will run into believe in Arianism, would anybody have a guess? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And also um, Mormons believe this, that Jesus was created by God the Father. He's a secondary level, and so he's not God Almighty, he's just God. And he's a secondary God, which, again, logically is impossible. Another heresy is Apollinarianism, and these are named after the guys who created them, that Christ is neither fully man nor fully divine. He's a human soul with a human mind that was taken over by God. And so he was created and that God kind of took over him as he yielded to him, and, and that's also a heresy. Um, another one is adoptionism. Uh, Jesus, and this is the one you see more commonly today than ever. This is really part of the New Age movement. Jesus was a human being who was adopted by God at his conception or at, or at his baptism. They hold the different positions at which uh, they point to God and included him with the divine nature. And the Lord was not divine until that later point in his life, either at his birth or as baptism, depending on which camp you lie in there. And it says, and when he was given the mission of becoming the Christ. So he wasn't born the Christ according to them. You know who, who, you know who says this? Victoria Osteen. She says that at Jesus' baptism, he became the Christ. Well, that means Gabriel the angel was wrong when he said, born unto you this day is Christ the Lord. Okay? He was Christ from the beginning, not at his baptism. So there's a lot of people... Oprah Winfrey, the Osteens, and a lot of other New Age people feel good stuff that teach this, and it's, it's also, it's heresy. Jesus Christ was pre-incarnate God from the beginning, before time was even created, the Trinity was there. Uh, Sabellianism, what's more commonly called modalism, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three modes, or three roles, or three faces of a single person, not three persons, but a single person, that one person being God. This heresy is strictly monotheistic, and God was acting as the creative father in the Old Testament. Then he was acting as the redeeming son in the New Testament, and then he subsequently acts, acting as the sanctifying spirit in this later age that we live in now. The most common group of people believe in this is what's united Pentecostals. And it's important you say United Pentecostals because Pentecostals as a group do not believe this. They believe in the Trinity like we do. But United Pentecostals believe in modalism, that God just keeps taking off and putting on different hats. Sometimes he's the Father. Sometimes he's the Son. Sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. And in a broader scheme today, he's just the Holy Spirit. And that's why you see in a lot of Pentecostals, especially United Pentecostal circles, an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and not glorifying the Son and glorifying the Father. But again, I'm not saying all Pentecostals believe this. Most Pentecostals, thankfully, do not believe this. In fact, the Assemblies of God have declared United Pentecostals as a cult because of this unorthodox teaching. But we need to be clear on the Trinity. Mark chapter 1, verse 10 says that when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, what event is this? His baptism, good. Immediately he saw the heavens being uh, torn open and the spirit of God descending like a, a dove what does this sound like this story right here creation right 
And it says, and a voice came upon the heavens says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. You see creation in this story right here? The Holy Spirit is hovering over the earth when it was without form and void. But then this, the light appears, right? And declares it's not only the sun, like the sun in the sky, but the son of God. And then we go right immediately into a garden and Adam and Eve are tempted, right? Well, Jesus goes immediately from his baptism into the wilderness and is tempted. So you see here in Mark 1, he's giving you the same backdrop with all the hyperlinks back to Genesis 1. So how do we make the Trinity practical? How do we live out our relationship with the Triugon every day? Again, we don't believe in three gods, right? We believe in one God who is eternally distinct as three persons. So we need to be praying in the Trinity and praying to the Trinity. You see, we pray, Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, because they were blown away by his prayer life. I mean, Jesus did a lot of stuff, right? Healing the blind, raising the dead, feeding 5,000. And the disciples didn't go and say, hey, teach us how to do those things. They said, teach us to pray, because they were so impressed by his prayer life. He said, okay. Here's a pattern for you to pray. After this manner, that's what the word manner means, like a, a pattern or a, a concept to follow. Our Father, so who do we pray to? The Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, all that. So the model for prayer is we pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said to pray in the Spirit. We're supposed to pray to the glory of the Son, and we're supposed to direct our prayers to our Father, and that's what you see Jesus doing all the time, praying to his Father in heaven. So we're praying in the Trinity, and we're also praying to the Trinity. Now, that doesn't mean you can never pray to the Son, Lord Jesus, help me, Holy Spirit, fill me. But who is our primary recipient of our prayers? It's the Heavenly Father, according to Jesus' model. So we are also to be singing about and to the Trinity. Our songs need to make sure that they're doctrinally sound, that we're, we're, we're including the Trinity in that, that we are Praying, singing about the Father, we're singing about the Son, singing about the Holy Spirit. And we're all supposed to be learning from all three. Hey, dads, you know the best place you can learn to be a good dad? It's from your Heavenly Father. Hey, teens, kids, you know the best place to learn how to be an obedient child? It's from Jesus, who obeyed everything his Father said. You learn from the Holy Spirit. On, the, on how to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, how to be loving, kind, patient, and full of goodness and virtue and gentleness. You learn all those things from the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how our, the, our triune God is so more vast than everything that we could be learning and changing every day and still never uh, exhaust all the resources that we have there. So back to Genesis 1, he goes on to say, let them have dominion. This is a monarch type word. Let them be reigning or be like kings and queens. So God is the king of the universe, and he invites us to be co-regents with him over the planet. Let them have dominion, like a king would have dominion over his kingdom. And look at all the things he, he asked them to have dominion over. Environmentalists and globalists think that man is just part of nature and that we're the primary problem in the environment. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Darwin wrote over and over again in his 
so-called biological treatise, The Evolution of the Species, about how there can be no hierarchy, no hierarchy, you know, totally anti-biblical. And yet the Bible says there's clearly a hierarchy, man and then everything under him. That you are more intelligent than the animals, you are to take domination over the trees and the plants, but all that means in a caring way, in a way that shows that you love the nature God created, not to destroy it or to abuse it. God created these things for us to take management over. In Psalm 8, verse 6, it comments on this passage even more. David says, you have given him, talking about man, dominion over the works of your hands. So God creates all this and he says, hey, here you go. Run this for me. And, and he says, you have put all things under his feet, which is what kings do. When kings would conquer a nation, they would go over to the conquering king and they'd put his foot on his neck. Like, you're mine now. Now, again, that's an abusive way, but that's not what this is talking about here. And verse 7 says, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts, the fields, all the birds of the heaven, and so on. God says, mankind, you be in charge of this. And so we see this lived out every day. Cowboys herd cattle, right? And, and, and the cattle live a better life because of this. Elephants in other parts of the world do lots of labor, and they move things. And you can see this strong animal is created not just to walk around and squish bugs in the jungle, but actually to do work. And, to, and you've seen elephants who enjoy their work and enjoy their labor. In fact, we've done this so well, we can train other animals to have dominance over a, a third party. And this, here's the smartest dog on the planet, the border collie. And they, they are trained. If you ever watch a video on animals like border collies herding sheep, it's amazing to watch. And yet you can see that that border collie is never happier than when it's doing its job. And it's like all of nature looks at us and goes, yeah, please, tell me what to do. And it says he gave order to things. So if you look at your backyard and you don't put anything in order, what's going to happen? It's going to get worse, not better. But when you plant things in rows and you have order to it and you put deciduous trees on this side and other types of trees on this side and that way things drain properly. And when you see when man, man makes a beautiful thing out of nature, it's, it's amazing to watch. I have someone in our neighborhood who got an exemption from the HOA. So they don't have to mow their lawn. They don't have to do anything because they've declared it a natural habitat. And it looks like trash. <laughs> it does. It looks like trash. I'm like... They, they, they're just going to let nature do its thing. It's like, yeah, I'm glad I don't live next to you. Which one would you rather have? The, the trash one where the weeds took over or this? But you can't have this unless man gets involved. But evolutionists and atheists think, no, no, you're the problem. Get out of the way and let nature do its thing. As they harvest their lithium batteries to make China rich and tear up the land and make it look even worse. But that's a whole other argument here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And how did he create him? Male and female. Did you ever think in your lifetime you'd have to stop and emphasize this? I mean, we've taken this for granted our whole life. I mean, yeah, boys and girls, boys and girls. Um, not today. Um, so here's, this is not a chart that I'm endorsing. Okay, this is, I'm wanting to understand how they see the world. The whole transgender movement says that if you are biologically a male, and in your brain you think you're a male, you're called cisgendered, okay? But if you are born biologically a male, but in your mind you think you're a female, you are transgender. And if you're born, let's say, a female, and it, all these could work for male and female. If you're born a female, 
but you don't identify as either. You are non-binary. And all this is just garbage, okay? Um, years ago, and we, when we discovered something called anorexia, you know, girl, this is a real problem where a very thin girl looks in the mirror and her brain tells her, you're fat. And she grabs something here and she says, see, look, I'm fat. I'm fat. And all she's really grabbing is just skin. And you recently have the measurement, you know, an inch or more, then you knew you had a problem. But if you're grabbing a quarter of an inch, you're not fat. And yet there's girls who become bulimic because of anorexia and they're on the verge of death. Now, but their brain is telling them, I'm fat. Do we affirm their fat person and say, yeah, you're fat. I will call you fat. What gender do you want me to call you to? I'll, I'll use whatever pronouns. I'll call you fat, so if you want me to. Is that what we do? Do we affirm the mental illness? No. We tell them, say, hey, your body is reality. Your brain is having some problems. Maybe you've been traumatized. Maybe you were sexually abused as a child. Maybe whatever the reason would be. But let's not mutilate your body to match your mutilated brain. Let's get your brain right. And if you are born in a woman's body, but your brain is, it's called gender dysphoria, your brain is confused, let's get your brain right. That's what every counselor, secular and Christian, would have said just 15 years ago. And now we have to affirm the confusion that's in their mind. And this is what's being taught to your kids in school. And let me just tell you, we need public school teachers in there being salt and light. Okay, I thank God for the teachers in this room. And I'm glad you're there. And I'm thankful for those parents who have your kids in public school and they're being salt and light. But it's getting harder and harder for you to do so. And let me tell you, for some schools, it's time to pull out. For some schools, great. You may have some great teachers and, you, and you're fighting the fight and you're, you're being salt and light. But the day is coming to where eventually we're probably all going to have to pull out unless the, the culture changes. But this is what's being taught to your kids at a... And the reason they're being taught at such a young age, think about this, they're being groomed. They're being sexually groomed. Why does a kindergarten even have to have this discussion? Why can't they just learn ABC and one, two, three? It's because it's the agenda they're trying to brainwash and groom a generation for their own sexual passions. And that's really what it comes down. It comes down to grooming. And it creates such incredible things. Here's a guy who was an army ranger, but now he identifies as a female and he beats up women in the boxing ring. This happens. Here's another one. This is, this is uh, Fallon Fox. He was a male his whole life till about age 26. He fought for several years against women without revealing his history. He didn't even tell people that he, used to, he was a biological man. His bone density is thicker than a woman. His shoulders are broader as women. His arms are longer than women. Everything about him, his hands, his fists, are bigger than a woman, but now because he identifies a woman, here's what he can do to other females. He can crack their skull. This is all, this is happening in the name of transgenderism. That a man can say I'm a woman, get in there and crack the skull of another female. Um, he fought this one female, uh, Tamika Brents, and she said this. She said, I've fought a lot of women. I have never felt the strength that I have fought, felt in this fight to, as I did today. I can't answer whether or not because she was born a man or not, because I'm not a doctor. But what I can say is I've never felt so overpowered ever in my life, and I am abnormally strong for a female. I still disagree with Fox fighting. She can pursue any career, but 
when it comes to combat sport, I think it's just not fair. Duh. And yet, if you are, are with her, and she, look at her, she's even afraid to call him a he or say, hey, I don't want to say you shouldn't fight, but I just think in this case it's not fair. It's just wrong. But if you say this is wrong, you're a hater, and your speech is censored, and YouTube will pull your comments down, and all kinds of things like that. We live in a world where 2 plus 2 is 147, and it makes no sense whatsoever. I want everybody to read this verse with me. This is God's word. If you disagree with anything I've said, I don't care, but I want you to agree with what God says. Verse 27, let's all read it together. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion. He's not a God of confusion. What we're seeing in the world today is confusion. And you can't even keep up with their vocabulary. Just the words they keep creating every day. And so man is created in the image of God. Women are created in the image of God. And together we more fully display the attributes of God. You see, Adam by himself could not fully display the attributes of God. Eve by herself. But when they came together in life partnership and sexual union and sharing the job that God had given them to do, they portrayed God in all of his holy attributes. You see, God is strong. Which one of the, the genders portrays that more? They both do, but which one portrays it more? Male does. Yeah, don't be afraid to say it. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, the Bible calls a woman the weaker vessel, not in the sense that she is weaker in character or weaker intellectually, but weaker physically. But so is your fine china, right? You can take a rubber bucket or a plastic bucket. You can take a, 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 a Ming vase. Which one's more valuable? But which one's more fragile? Fragile doesn't necessarily lesser value. In fact, usually it means more. God is compassionate, amen? Which one of the genders displays compassion better? Women do. Yeah, I mean, you, when my kids fall and skin their nail, I'm like, get up, use the hose, squirt it off, go back and play. Mom's like, oh, come here, come here, let me kiss it. Let me clean it. Oh, this is going to hurt a little bit. Okay, sorry, honey. Let me give you a Band-Aid. Let me give you the one with the door on it and all that stuff like that. And women are far more compassionate. Men are like, oh, suck it up. Look, get out there and play. You know? God is compassionate. Thank God for women who are that way. Um, God is our healer. This might be a tough one, but which one of the genders is probably better at being promoting healing? Women, yeah. I, I, I threw out the order here. So yeah, same story. When, when you want your kids to get better, you know, our dad's like, I don't feel warm to me, go to school. You know, Mom's like, where's the thermostat? Where's the thermometer? And uh, let's sanitize it first. You know, lay down, honey. Here, put this in. Uh, 98.9, I think you should stay home. You know, and women promote the healing way more than guys do. Which one is primarily the provider? Male, men are. Again, I'm not saying women don't provide. I'm not saying men aren't compassionate. I'm saying God has created us with different roles so that when we parent together, it's a beautiful picture. Um, God hovers over us like a mother hen. Gave you the answer there, right? Jesus said that there's several times in the Bible that God takes on motherly traits and there's several times in the Bible God takes on fatherly traits. That's why God created two genders, so together we would make a more perfect picture of his attributes. God is our defender. Who, who provides this better? Yeah, I'm like, Tammy's like, there's a noise downstairs. I'm like, why don't you go see what it is? <laughs> no, I'm the one that grabs, you know, the, 
I'm the one that grabs a defense weapon and heads down the stairs to check and see, and that's what I should do. Um, God knows everything. Which gender is this? There you go. Amen. <laughs> Just threw that one out there for fun. That really is actually, it's funny, but it's also very true. You know, did you know there are, there's so much about, like they want to say that we're identical except for a few body parts. That's so not true. It's, medical science it, it proves that that's so not true. Even our vision is different. Men have great depth perception. They see things this way, and they can tell exactly how far away that car is so that when they slam on the brakes, they come whoop. And women are like, ah, like, what are you freaking out about, you know? But women have a better um, peripheral view. They see things all around. That's why it seems like everything's coming at them in the car because their peripherals taking all. We're like laser focused. And she's like, there's your exit. You're not seeing it. Oh, what, what? <laughs> you know, I'm focused on the truck in front of me. And a husband and wife can walk into a room and the guy's like, there's the punch bowl. There's the sandwiches, you know. And she's like taking in the whole room. And she's like, did you say the, see the way he looked at you? He's like, what? What, he looked at me? Who looked at me? What? And she's taking in everything. So women do know everything. So the nature of God is best illustrated in marriage. When a husband and a wife, even though they're imperfect, are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and they truly sacrificially love each other, they display God's love, not only to their children, but to the watching world. Not only is that the marriage is a picture, but the gospel is illustrated in marriage. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is illustrated in marriage. God lovingly pursues us. Think about this. See, I'm going to talk about God, but look at how this parallels marriage. God lovingly pursues us in a covenantal love and promises to provide, protect, and to honor, and to cherish. That's, the God, that's God's role, and it, it parallels marriage. So we take his name. We're, we open ourselves to him. We receive him into the center of our being. He plants the seed of the word in us, and it produces life. You see, marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why the world is attacking marriage. This is why the world is attacking sexuality, because it destroys the message of God. It destroys the gospel. Our culture attacks on marriage and sexuality is an attack on the very nature of God and the gospel of God. Listen to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read a lot of verses here from Romans 1. because this, And I know many of you are familiar with this verse. But I want you to think about Genesis 1 as I read this. But I also want you to think about what you're seeing in the world around us today. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. Have you seen that now? If anybody says something on social media that is contrary to what the narrative is, Facebook rips it down. Twitter rips it down. YouTube rips it down. If they suppress the truth because it doesn't fit their lifestyle. They want to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with, whenever they want to sleep with, and they don't want you telling you about anything that's truth, so they're going to suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How? In creation. The Trinity is everywhere. The Trinity is in us. For his invisible attributes, God's love, his goodness, his character, his, his triuneness, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So well, I, won't, I won't even comment. I'll let it speak for itself. 
in the things he has made so that they are, what? Without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. See, that's the problem. It's not that they don't know there's a God. They do. They really work hard. In fact, evolutionists are mystified now because they've done tons of research saying, why won't kids believe in evolution? Why do kids who aren't even born in religious homes want to believe there's a God? It's because it's obvious. <laughs> you know, when you walk by something that's made, you're like, well, who made that, Dad? Well, some men built that house. Oh, yeah. Who painted this picture? Uh, some artist painted that picture. Well, who made me? They automatically know that if you see something that's complex and has order and design, there must be a designer. So, but they don't want to honor him. They say, God, I am running my own life. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're not going to tell me. So neither did they even give thanks. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. You see, when you are in sexual union in a biblical way, a man and a woman who love one another and love God, it is honoring your bodies. But when you do the opposite, you are dishonoring the body that God gave you among themselves. Because, watch this, they exchanged the truth for God about a lie. And that, that's all we have on news today is fake news, just lies, lies, lies about everything. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, the one who is blessed forever. Amen. Stay with me here. For, the, for this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Notice he did not say contrary to the Old Testament. He did not say contrary to the Ten Commandments. He said nature itself says that's messed up. That is not natural. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed. That's the problem. These people are sexual addicts. We can be sexual addicts if we're not careful. I'm not trying to cast shade on everybody in the world. We're sinners too. The only difference is we're saved by grace, amen? And God, God saved us and gave us his grace and loves us, and we should do the same for them. But we can't affirm their lifestyle because they're consumed with a dishonorable passage, passage, passion. And so their passion is with one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You see, what the world is not telling you is that the whole idea of people being born this way, it's a lie. It's a myth. If I told you that 99% um, of the people out there who got monkeypox drank Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper would be taken off the shelf tomorrow. But the truth is 99% of the people getting monkeypox out there are homosexual men. The news will not tell you that because they don't want to be disrespectful to the homosexual crowd. But that's where monkeypox has come from. It started in Africa and also started mostly in the raves in Italy where all kinds of dishonorable things I can't even talk about happen amongst homosexual men, and they've spread it all over the planet. If, if, the, if the CDC said that, you know, COVID, we found out that 99% of the COVID people have processed sugar, and people who don't eat processed sugar never get COVID, it would be taken off the shelves tomorrow. But we know that 99% of monkeypox comes from homosexual men, but we can't talk about it. We just can't talk about it. But what they do, it's, it's a shameless act, and they're receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And what the, what the media is not telling you is that people aren't born this way. Over, think about the, the men you know in your life that are homosexual. 
I guarantee you that nine out of 10 of them either have no relationship with their dad or a very dysfunctional relationship with their dad. Do your own survey. But the scientists, New York University put, published a research paper about how the overwhelming majority of homosexual men have no relationship with their dad or a dysfunctional relationship with dad, but they suppress that because that's the truth. They don't want to hear that. But think about it for yourself. And what's happening is that if you were born this way, why are there so many ex-homosexuals? So many people who come to Christ and give up that lifestyle. Here's a, just a couple of them. Make sure the volume's up for me. I am a former lesbian, and I'm very passionate about this topic uh, because I really embraced that life. I won't talk about how or why I went into that lifestyle, but I fully embraced it, and I was confident in who I was, and I sought it out, and I was a champion for the LGBT, and I really even like to um, just be out there and promote it. So I had fully believed in, in this lie that gets perpetuated that people don't change, they can't change, and if you try to change them, it's detrimental to their health. And I just want to say that's a lie. I almost missed out on some of the best and most precious moments of my life. I wasn't going to get to get married. I wasn't going to meet my husband. I wasn't going to get to have my own children. This is not something that my mind was even open to. I didn't know that it was a possibility for me. And I stand before you now a changed woman. I don't struggle with same-sex attraction. It's almost like it never was for me. And so I just, I, I would like for that lie to stop being perpetuated. It's just simply not true. People can and do change if they want. And we need to be allowed as free Americans to seek that out. Nobody has the right to tell you, you can't be what you want to be. And I did want change. And through the power of God, the creator of heaven and earth, this was able to happen. Amen. These days were able to happen, these moments. And I'm a happy woman. I don't suffer depression. I don't suffer with anxiety. I don't drink myself into stupors like I used to have to. For a long time, I was very broken and hurt. I found out that I was HIV positive because I was promiscuous. My generation would say a hoe. <laughs> and while I was searching for men and sleeping around a lot, I didn't realize that there was a man looking for me. His name is Jesus. I was able to find a church where they loved me. And I, they taught me that my identity was not my behavior. My identity was not who I thought it was, but it was a child of God. So I stand here to say that I was a former homosexual, a former hoe. And now I am a child of God. Amen. So what, where they were at was on the steps of the Capitol in Washington, D.C., as Washington is trying to pass legislation to make it illegal to counsel people to away from their homosexuality. So that someone came, in my church came to me and said, hey, Pastor Gary, I, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. What should I do? And I opened up a Bible and showed them that's wrong. And if you pray and ask God, for help. He will change your desires and he can heal your heart. And you need to go through counseling about where you've been hurt and where you've been abused, that they could put me in jail. They don't even want to hear these people testifying in Congress because they've already made up their mind that it's wrong and that you can't teach people that, that their lifestyle is wrong. Um, so God says he blessed them. Now, if someone came in the room and said, hey, I want to bless you. What are you thinking? 
What, what might they be saying? I want to give you some money. I want to take you out to lunch. I want to give you a car, right? But watch this. He says he blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. The blessing was the process of being fruitful and multiplying and filling and taking care of the earth. And this is, that people are like, well, you know, we're, we're dealing with overpopulation. We're dealing with all kinds of problems. It's like, first of all, number one, I doubt you've ever been in an airplane and paid close attention. You fly over America, it's like green, 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 green. Like there's plenty of space. Did you know that, that you could fit everybody in the state of Texas and give them a fourth of an acre each? And the whole world would live in the state of Texas. One, each person have a quarter of an acre. Did you know that? That's how humongous the world is. Okay? Think about it. The, the city of Tallahassee, Florida is 8 billion square feet. That means everybody on the planet could stand, I'm not saying you should live like this, but stand in a square foot. The whole world could stand in the city limits of Tallahassee, Florida. This world is nowhere near close to being full. The problem is everybody's crowding together in cities because of greed and not doing what God said to spread out and subdue the earth. We're, we're leaving things like farming to big massive corporations. To, to, they're buying up the little family farms all over the place. Even in this scenario right here, this would be 27,000 people per square mile, which is the equivalent to the population density of New York City. This isn't even abnormal. This is how people live in New York, which probably could make case be that that's that abnormal. But he says God blessed them, and he gave them the responsibilities, three of them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and then have dominion. You say, well, is that a blessing? That sounds like responsibility. Yes, it is. Your responsibility is your blessing. God blessed them with purpose. Think about that. God blessed them with purpose. You know what we do to try to be happy? Find a time where we could do nothing. Or find a time where we do amusement. Do you know, what the, you know where the word amusement comes from? Muse means to think. You put the letter A from it, it means to not think. We go places where we just don't have to think. And we entertain, we play video games, we binge watch stuff, and that is not going to bring us happiness. Purpose is what brings us happiness. You see, if you pursue happiness, it will elude you. It will escape you. But if you pursue your purpose in life, happiness will find you. I, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room has had a great day at work and walked away and gone, that's pretty cool. I feel like I got some stuff done. We, we've all had a time where, it's, whether it's our garage or our kitchen, and we clean it up, we put it in order, and we sit down, and we're like, that's cool. And yet our kids are like, oh, don't make me do work. Don't make me do work. Man, parents, the best blessing you can do is teach your kids to work. Help them to find the purpose in life. God says, hey, I'm going to bless you. Guess what? I'm going to give you a job. That's what he did. Day one, he said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you with a job. So look at what Adam was given. He was given a relationship with God, number one. He was given responsibilities with a job, and then he was given a mate to share both of them with. Share in his relationship with God and share in his work. And this is what God gave them. So let me ask you a question. Are you not happy with the way your life is going? You're unsettled. You're just wishing for more. You know, I like, it's okay right now, but I really need this to be happy. So let me ask you this question. Which one of you, these is lacking in your life? You could be unhappy because you don't have a good relationship with God. 
You, might, you could work yourself to death, and you can have a really great mate, but if you don't have a proper relationship with God, you're not going to be truly happy. Maybe you don't have the right job. Maybe you're living for the job, and it's not giving you back what you want out of it. Maybe you need to find a new job. Maybe ask God to give you a better job. Or maybe you need to do that job better. Maybe you're suffering from guilt because you really aren't giving your employer your all while you're there. You're spending too much time on your phone and not enough time on the job. Or maybe your unhappiness comes from the, your mate, okay? And let me tell you, you need to start with the person in the mirror first and see if you can fix that. And, and again, if you're single, it doesn't mean you can't be happy in life because Jesus Christ can be your bridegroom. And so look at one... I, each one of us, don't think of somebody else who really needs to hear this right now, but I want you to look at this sentence. Which one of these three things in my life really needs to improve? It says, and God said, behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree, which seed is for, for its fruit, you shall have them for food. So God gives us all these things. And some people can make an argument saying, hey, does this mean that we are meant to be vegetarians? Yes and no. Yes, the Adam and Eve were vegetarians. In fact, all animals were vegetarians at that point. You say, really, Gary? Well, that's a whole other discussion I'll, I'll, I'll cover later when we get more into evolution versus creation. But originally, Adam and Eve were vegetarians, okay? In fact, there was two vegetarians that met at a steakhouse, and they looked at each other, and they recognized each other, like, oh, we really need to stop meeting like this. But anyway, eh, explain that to somebody. All right, Genesis 9.3 says, God says to Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be for you for food. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So after the flood, after the world had been destroyed and God's repopulating the earth with the, these animals and these people, he says, now you don't have to be vegetarian only, you can eat meat. In fact, some translations say you may eat. It doesn't say you have to eat. He commanded them, think about this, to eat fruits. He commanded them to eat vegetables. He said, you may eat meat. If you look at the American diet, it's 80% meat and 20% others. And these others have been frozen and worthless, really, you know. I think we need to flip it. We really ought to be 80% fruits and vegetables and a little bit of meat. And I think we'd be a whole lot healthier because, again, go back to Genesis with that situation. So, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. What's different about that phrase? Previous, he just said what? It's good. What's changed? You did. God created a man and a woman, and he said, aha, now it's really good. Now it's amazing. You know, the very good there is, is, is you know how we say, uh, we double words up? He's saying it's good, good. Before he just said it's good, he said, no, this is good, good. And then, there was, then he says there was evening and morning, and this was the sixth day. Again, reinforcing that this was a literal 24-hour day. I mentioned before that 2,295 times the Hebrew word yom for day appears in the Bible. And every single time except for nine, it means a literal 24-hour day. But let me say this. Every single time it appears with a number, it always means 24-hour day. The other nine, aren't, there's no numerical reference with it. So every time it's a reference to a number, it's a reference to it being a literal 24-hour day. So thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Remember, he formed and then he filled. The word finished here means he filled them and all the hosts. And so there 
we go back to this pattern right here that just for your visual reminder. So on the seventh day, God finished his work. Again, work was a good thing that he had done, and then he rested. God did not rest because he was physically tired. He's just chilling and enjoying his work. He's just taking in all that he's done, and, from the, and he made it the seventh day. You know what's interesting about this? This is Adam and Eve's first full day. They were created at the end of day six, and then the first full day together, Adam's like, hey, God, what do you want to do? Man, can we get busy, fruitful, and multiplying? No, no, no. Just say that for later. Hey, can we go out there and subdue some animals? No, no, no. Can we go kind of harvest some things or get the garden? No, no. I just want you to chill with me. That's how we're going to spend our first full 24-hour day on earth, just chilling with your heavenly Father. And you know, do you, do you see yourself in a situation where you're just like, I got so much to do. I got so much to do. I got to get busy. I got to get busy. And God's like, no, no, hey, just sit here with me. Let me have the first 20 minutes of your day. Let's just chill. Let's just be together. But God, there's, there's so much work to be done. There's so much out there to have to do. And I believe we can quote the psalmist here, be still and know that I am God. It's good to take a day off and just be with God. Just be with your family. Be with the things that matter most. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Exodus 20, verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not work. I'm going to talk about more of this in another time. I'm going to skip ahead for time's sake right here. Colossians 1.19 says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, he reconciled himself to God, all things. You see, the world is not right with God. Jesus came to make the world reunited or reconciled with God, whether it be things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Have you known the peace of God? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Do you, are you no longer his enemy at war with him by rebelling against him, but you're, you're at peace with God because of Christ? The Bible says, if you, here's what you do if you haven't. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you do that, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one believes and is saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us and for caring for us. Thank you that Jesus Christ paid the awesome price to reconcile us with God. Father, I pray for one who's here this morning or several that don't know you or someone watching online that today they'd be reconciled with God and experience the peace of God by giving their life to Christ and believing that he died, he was buried, and he rose again to cover all their sins. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, this is my cell phone number. This will also work for question and answer if you have a question. And if you know someone who would benefit by hearing the Genesis series, please invite them to join you in church and pray for them and invite them. Um, there's a reading plan associated with these messages, and it's been amazing. I'm absolutely loving it. If you want to know more about it, um, here is the, on the version, the Origins one. You can, it's not too late to join. Um, Amanda, would you like to help us with question and answer? And we'll do question and answer session. We'll try to keep it somewhat short, I guess. Um, we had a lot of stuff packed into the service prior to the message. My message was also a little long as well, um, longer than normal for those of you who are first time. So here we go. Or maybe this one? All right. Okay. So first question. 
I've heard an argument pointing to the Crusades as an example of Christianity being a source of genocide. What was the reason behind the Crusades and how were they connected to anything in the Bible? I, uh, that was from August. Whoopsie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry, here's their correct question. There's another Trinity perfected in marriage, man, woman, and God. Yes. Okay. Yes. Some people would say man, woman, and child, but that's not, that would not be accurate. In fact, what's interesting, the Muslims in the Quran say that our Trinity is father, mother, and son. They don't even have our Bible right. So how is the Quran reliable? But yes, you, the way your marriage is perfected is when husband and wife are in love with the father and, and God is part of that holy trinity in your marriage. A marriage without God at the center is not at all it could be. I'm not saying lost people can't have good marriages. Some have better marriages than we do, okay? But your marriage is perfected when God is, is part of that holy trinity. Okay, this is long. This is tough. I don't condone homosexuality, but I do know dozens of gay couples, none of which are sex addicts. And sex has very little to do with their love for one another. In fact, for them, the sex would probably be, a bit, be at the very bottom of the list. They may have past trauma that causes some of these things deep in their psyche, but a lot of it they, a lot of it they aren't truly aware of. Um, that being said, I just want to emphasize that I do not agree with homosexuality, but I love my friends and their spouses anyways. Their passion and love for each other is rarely sexually driven, and these people actually can't stand in your face overly sexual homosexual, which is what you'll see on TV and social media, but it's overlooking the majority of the true nature of today's homosexuals. It's a tough topic because I love these people, but I do not condone homosexuality. But that being said, if they were to hear some of the things we say, even here in this church, it would bring them even further away from God than they already were or are. I'm curious what Jesus would say to us on how we are handling this. It's a great question. Um, I agree with pretty much everything on that. I, it's anecdotal evidence in the sense that that may be true, um, that the majority of the homosexuals they know aren't sex-driven. Um, Statistics, let me just say this. So therefore, for those they know, I would say yes. And I would say that they're also very capable of loving each other. I'm not even questioning that. And so I'm not even questioning their commitment. But as many of us know, you can be committed to the wrong person. Even if it's a heterosexual relationship, you can be committed to the wrong person. The Bible says we're supposed to marry believers. And many times, some of us have made mistakes. We married an unbeliever, but we still have to love them now. So anyway, um, statistically speaking, Monogamy amongst homosexuals is the, rare, the exception, not the rule. That's based on their own statistics. The, the average homosexual male has hundreds of partners in their lifetime. So this idea of monogamy being, oh, that's all we just want. We just want homosexual marriage. Like, this is all of us. It's the overwhelming minority according to their statistics. So, but again, I'm not taking away from their capability. But again, it, it, there's something wrong either with their brain or whatever. Um, that makes them addicted to something that's not right. So, um, and I'll leave it at that. Because and uh, to answer the second part of the question is, I struggle with often. Do I come across as hateful or whatever? I am passionate about the truth, and I am very angry that people attack the gospel and attack God. So, just like if you attacked my wife or my kids, yeah, I would get up all in your face. So, but I need to. I do need to be careful 
as I preach this, that I'm preaching the truth and I'm doing it in love. But the Bible says open rebuke is better than secret love. It, if a doctor says, hey, you're fine, you're going to live forever when you have cancer, you know, if he's going to tell you the hard truth that you don't want to hear and then he's going to cut you open and he's going to cause a lot of pain in your life to get rid of that cancer, then I would choose that doctor. Again, pray for me that I, I hope you pray for me regularly because I do need to make sure I'm being compassionate. But yes, Jesus pulled no punches when he preached to people. He preached hard. In fact, he, when the multitudes started following because of the loaf and bread, he said, you're just here for another free fish sandwich. You need to repent of your sins lest you all likewise perish. And guess what? They all went away. So Jesus is not afraid of hard preaching. Neither is the apostle Paul or Moses. So again, I'm not condoning if I've gone too far, forgive me. If I seem harsh, forgive me. But the truth can be harsh. And that, that's where I want to stand, that the truth is harsh, not Gary. I always say, I think, and I think I said today, was we love those people. We want to reach out and care for those people. We're broken ourselves. We've got our own addictions, whatever. But here's the thing. Sex is an addiction. It's meant to be, it chemically alters your brain. That's why you have to be careful who you're sexually addicted to. God has designed it to where when you're with your wife, or your husband, and things are going well, you don't want anybody else. You're like, I want them, I want them, because you're addicted to them. That's why pornography is so dangerous. That's why any other type of relationship is dangerous. And people get, do get addicted, but it's a, it's a good addiction when you're the right person. Anyway, I hope that helps. Two questions. One, do you think that aliens are or are possibly real? And what is the Pentecost? Good question. So let me answer the first one, and I think we'll make this our last. Um, so uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says there's not aliens. So as soon as Christians start saying there's not aliens, we'll probably discover one. But if we did, that would not mess up the plan of salvation at all. Jesus Christ came to this earth and died for this people. If he's got the same scenario going on somewhere in quadrant 17, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But let me tell you my presumption based on the Bible, based on biblical thought. I do believe we're the only life in the entire universe because God's saying out of all these billions and billions of planets, I love this little blue dot right here and I'm willing to die for the people on it. To me, that fits the overall thinking of the Bible, but I'm not going to say that proves there's not alien life, okay? And if you've seen the movie E.T., you know it's probably likely. So the, the second, second question, what is the Pentecost? Pentecost was 50 days after Passover to celebrate the harvest and all, and all that. And so God designed it to where the Feast of Pentecost is when he put the Holy Spirit upon the church and they were filled and they were speaking in tongues and all those things like that. The church started, I believe, when Jesus called the disciples. He said, I will build my church. He empowered the church 50 days later. And good pastors disagree on those dates. But um, Pentecost was a festival to celebrate the harvest but people could not do the spiritual harvest without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Pentecost is. And that's where the denomination Pentecostal comes from because of the emphasis on the filling of the Spirit. You said no more questions. No more questions. Okay. All right. Well, there are more questions. But I I, I'll ask. answer them next week. Let's okay. stand. And would you go to the next slide for me, Seth or Matt? And let's read this verse together as we're dismissed. Like I said, the Word of God is the center of all we did. We began with the Word of God. We'll end with the Word of God. And this is, our, this is the responsibility that God has given us. Matthew 28, 19. Read together. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I command you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.